Thank you for tuning in to the Voice of the Victim podcast. We discuss a lot of sad and potentially triggering things on this show. We try to be as sensitive and cautious as possible, but if you are sensitive to things involving abuse and may be triggered, please think twice before listening to our show. Welcome to the Voice of the Victim podcast. My name is Ryan. And I'm Rosie. Yeah, how are you doing today, Rosie? I'm tired. <laughs> long day. Yeah, but like just, good, but just like long. You've started a new chapter of your life. I have. Yeah, Rosie's new work days are longer, like 11 to 11 and a half hour days. But all in all, it'll be less hours, less days. So it's kind of a trade-off. It will take some getting used to. I am not used to 10 and a half hour days. Yeah. But, I mean, the payoff is going to be amazing, so. And you really, really like it, don't you? I really, really like it. It's just, at the end, I'm just like, (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm glad you found a job that you actually enjoy being at. Before we start this week, I want to mention that we've updated episode 95 about Maria and Nanny Farmer. There was more to the story involving the little sister, Annie, that we discovered after releasing our episodes so go back and listen to that if you just want to hear the new part it starts around 36 minutes in also for episode 100 which is just two weeks away what are we doing rosie we need your questions for our ama style episode yeah so if you want to want us to answer your questions feel free to email them to us or send them to us on facebook instagram or twitter um they can be as ridiculous and random as you want or as serious as you want we don't really care yeah shoot us anything if we hate your question we'll just weed it out <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and i want to thank caitlin on patreon already for your great questions mm-hmm. uh, very interesting ones also megan on yeah twitter. on twitter we did get yours as well still have to reply to you but if you're listening we did get your questions all right we also want to thank our awesome new patron, Kelsey from Kelser Art. Kelser Art, I believe is how you'd pronounce it. But she's on Instagram. She makes really cool art, displays it on her Instagram page. Um, it's a really interesting style, and you should check it out if you're interested. Mm-hmm. I like it. One more thing. If you love our show, please go leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We would really appreciate hearing from you, and we want to share your review at the end of our show. The last few we've gotten haven't been great. No. The first two I just laughed at. The third one hurt. Yeah. We're actually, we might share a couple of them because we want to hear your opinion on a possible tweak we are going to make to our, our show, but stay tuned to the end for that. All right. So who are we talking about tonight, Rosie? Virginia Louise Roberts. Yes. And she was born on August 9th, 1983 in Sacramento, California. On August 9th, 1983. That was my fault. Yeah. I wrote the date twice. But speaking of California, we did not do very well with the pronunciations in episode 94. So just to correct ourselves, it's La Jolla, 
not LaJola or LaJoya. <laughs> so anyway, this is Virginia Roberts. You probably heard of her if you looked into the Jeffrey Epstein case at all. Also, it goes by Virginia Jufre. So we will get into that. But who are her parents? She was born to Skye and Lynn Roberts. Yes, and Skye is the father. Lynn is the mother. Uh, she also had a younger brother. When Virginia was four years old, they moved across the country to a small, unincorporated town, 17 miles west of West Palm Beach, Florida, called Loxahatchee. Yeah, so West Palm Beach is like mainland Florida. Then there's an island of Palm Beach across from that that's like on the strip. You know how Florida has a lot of those strips of beaches that are kind of separated from the mainland? And then Loxahatchee is 17 miles inland from that. So, I love unincorporated towns. Me too. <laughs> what comes to mind is Ellsworth, Wisconsin. That's unincorporated? No, but Beldenville on the way to Ellsworth is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know a town is small when they're unincorporated. <laughs> As a little girl, Virginia really loved animals and decided that she wanted to be a veterinarian someday. Speaking of animals. We have one right here meowing. Really wants to play with the ball right now. Virginia's childhood was difficult. When she was seven years old, a close family friend started molesting her. And because of this, she ended up running away from home. This kind of reminds me of Michelle Knight, who... We will be talking about in a future episode. She ended up living in a foster home, and by age 13, she was even living on the streets at times. She was taken in by a man named Ron Eppinger. He ran a modeling agency called Perfect 10 and gave her a free room and board to work for him. But this guy was an unsavory character. You don't say. After living with Ron for six months, she got away from him. Later, Ron Eppinger's business was raided by the FBI, and they found that his modeling agency was a front for a sex trafficking ring. So, kind of like Walter White's car wash, but the fact that he took in Virginia when she was 13 gives us a bit of an idea of the type of girls he was targeting. I would say. Yeah, and what she may have suffered while living with him. In 1999, Eppinger learned that he was under investigation for this and fled the United States and hid out in Prague, the capital of the Czech Republic. In the fall of 2001, he was traveling from Prague to Spain, but during a layover in Germany, he was apprehended and extradited to the U.S. I'm just wondering why when someone's indicted, there's a C in it, but when they're extradited, there's no C. That's what I want to know. You're asking the wrong person, tell you that. If you know, please let me know. He faced charges for recruiting Czech women, telling them he had a great modeling opportunity for them, but then trapping them in a prostitution ring. He had two accomplices in the Czech Republic that helped him get tourist visas for the women. Their names were Lucy Faubert. I'm thinking Faubert. Oh. And Teresa Benisova who also faced charges and pled guilty. These women got a cut of the girls' earnings, and Eppinger took half of the girls' earnings and used his wealth to support a lavish lifestyle. Now, this business model is unbelievably prevalent within this story. Virginia somehow was taken advantage of so many, by so many different people that use this business model. 
When he was arrested, he had to give up his limo and his boat, both of which he used to promote his call girl service. He faced up to 10 years in prison for this. The charges were for alien smuggling of prostitution, interstate travel for prostitution, and money laundering. He ended up pleading guilty, but he was only sentenced to 21 months. So how does a 10-year sentence get shaved down to 21 months? And I even thought 10 years was pretty lenient. Yeah. She was only 14 at this point, and she'd already experienced so much trauma. But after Eppinger, she really wanted to turn her life around and get into a safer environment. She got in contact with her father, Sky Roberts, and went to live with him. Sky was a maintenance manager at the Mar-a-Lago Resort Club in Palm Beach, Florida, and he helped Virginia get a job there as a spa attendant. According to an affidavit filed, Very nice. <laughs> filed by Virginia, it was the summer of 1999. When she was only 15 years old, she was at the spa reading a book about massage therapy. So this was something she was interested in getting into, which would probably pay better than a spa attendant. But while she was reading this book, there was a significant guest at the club who we've talked about before, Ghislaine Maxwell. Mm-hmm. She noticed the book Virginia was reading and approached her. Maxwell asked Virginia if she was interested in massage and told her about a potential job working as a traveling masseuse for a very wealthy man. She told Virginia that she could get her an interview with him. Virginia worried that she wouldn't qualify because she had no experience at all, and this seemed like a really elite position. But Ghislaine Maxwell assured her that no experience was necessary, and she could learn on the job as long as he liked her. So Ghislaine made this opportunity sound like a dream come true to Virginia, that she'd be able to travel and see the world while doing something she loved. So it sounds like a lot of the promises made to Maria Farmer. Ghislaine told Virginia that this was a good way for Virginia to get free professional training and that it would open up more opportunities for the future because she'd be trained and have the experience. And of course, this wealthy man was Jeffrey Epstein. We're going to take a quick break to share something that we love. We're really excited to tell you guys about this new sponsor because what they do is very important and their goal is also one of the main goals that we have on our podcast. And that would be protecting children while still giving them room to grow into a person who can learn to protect themselves. In other words, keeping kids safe without being overbearing or stunting their ability to grow. And that's why Bark is such an amazing tool. Now, I always hear that dogs are the best security system because they bark to alert you to danger and are much more sensitive than a security system would be. Bark.us is similar to that, but in the electronic world. Bark provides a service that monitors your children's devices, but only alerts you when there's possible danger. The great part about that is the fact that you're able to give your kids more trust and privacy so they can develop into a self-sufficient adult while also keeping them safe. They can learn how to take care of themselves this way. It's really tough to strike a balance between safety and freedom, but this eliminates the need to screen every little thing they do. You wouldn't give your kid a bike without a helmet, and you wouldn't let them drive without a seatbelt. So why give them a device without the number one safety solution on the market? Smartphones, tablets, and laptops can connect you to almost anyone in the world. It's amazing for kids to be able to learn and talk to their friends and family, but it also has the potential to be really dangerous. Cases like Brittany Zamora could be prevented by services like Bark. 
And they monitor over 30 social media platforms like YouTube, email, Instagram, and text messaging. Your kids won't need to worry about you spying on them because Bark only alerts you when something problematic like cyberbullying, online predators, signs of depression, adult content, and similar stuff pops up. And they do this by sending you a text and email along with recommendations on how to address the problem in an effective way. Bark is already trusted by over 1,900 school districts nationwide. They protect over 4.8 million children. They've already prevented 16 school shootings and over 28,000 severe self-harm situations. And the best part is that it keeps your children safe. But the second best part is that it's affordable. Bark provides 24-7 monitoring of your child's safety for only $9 a month per family. And for schools, it's completely free. So use the tech solution created by Parents for Parents, which already keeps close to 5 million kids safer online. Visit www.bark.us now to start your free trial and see why parents and caregivers across the nation have more peace of mind while letting their kids become responsible digital natives. That's www.bark, like a dog barks when a stranger approaches your house, .us. One more time, that's www.bark.us. This episode of Voice of the Victim podcast is supported by Best Fiends. Now, you know we talk about a lot of difficult topics on our show, and it's really mentally exhausting for us, but we found a great new way to get our minds into a better place while giving our brains a workout. It's the fascinating puzzle game called Best Fiends. Now, I finally beat level 60, that crazy boss that's Uh a tough level and now i'm at level 73 so finally catching up to you rosie Mm -hmm. what level are you on 250 well (laughs) i'm getting close (laughs) the 250s are hard though because there's like a new type of bomb thing like it's these scary mystery marshmallow looking bombs and if they touch your emblem They could turn it into one of the bombs, and then, like, it disappears. It's so intense. That's what's cool about the game, though, is that it keeps getting a little bit harder and more interesting. Mm -hmm. And by the time you get to the 250s, I mean, you can easily beat the levels I'm on now. I never feel bored. hard to me. Right. And I really never liked puzzle games that much, but Best Fiend stands out because it's also story-based. It's an interesting story about an invasion and you get to help the good guys defeat the bad guys so don't want to spoil too much and you can save baby slugs and then get them carrots to eat and wins you a lot of diamonds which i appreciate i'm also a big fan of brittle the housefly brittle he's goofy looking and i like it Mm -hmm. but you guys know i'm really busy working full-time writing producing this podcast but I still have time to play this game because it's so easy. You just play it whenever you have free time. Mm-hmm. You know, you always have those little moments in the day where you want to keep your mind sharp, especially when I'm editing the podcast and I'm waiting for something to load on the computer. That's the perfect time to do it because I don't want my brain to fall asleep by just staring at a loading bar. You don't need to be connected to the internet to play Best Fiend, so it's perfect for long airplane rides. In the airplane? Florida. And in line sometimes. And on the cruise ship. Definitely where there's on the no, ferry boats. It was the perfect game on the cruise ship where there was no <laughs> internet. This game's really nice to look at. Lots of bright colors and cute characters. And it never gets old because they update the game every month with new levels and events. So engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. 
Trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this five-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Yeah. Now back to the show. This wealthy man was Jeffrey Epstein, who on top of his New York mansion, Ohio mansion, and ranch in New Mexico, also had a mansion in Palm Beach, Florida. This is where Virginia would start working for him. And so I already mentioned the island of Palm Beach is a strip of land across the bridge from West Palm Beach. But West Palm Beach is very middle to lower class living areas, which is where Virginia had come from. But across that bridge, the island of Palm Beach is very, very wealthy and said that millionaires were too poor to live there. <laughs> if I can't even wrap my mind around that. And this is where billionaires live. When Virginia arrived at the mansion, her massage training began right away. And her teacher was Ghislaine Maxwell herself. She began showing Virginia how to massage Jeffrey's back. I just want to backtrack a sec. Um, If you heard our episode on Patreon about Jeffrey Epstein, you'll know maybe why he chose to live on this island. Because he was very interested in billionaires. Sorry to interrupt. At the time, Virginia saw them as trustworthy adults who she could look up to. So she told them about the abuse that she had suffered in the past. Sadly, Virginia feels like this was kind of a key for them because they could see how broken she still was. And at this point, she was only 15 years old, about to turn 16. Shortly after this, they finished rubbing Jeffrey's back and he flipped over onto his back. So what we're about to describe is disgusting, but it becomes part of his mode of operations for these massages for young, from young girls. When he turned over, he was completely nude, and he exposed himself to almost 16-year-old Virginia. Virginia was shocked and didn't know what to do. She was in this mansion with these two rich and powerful people on the island of Palm Beach. This is when they told her to take off her clothes. At this point, she felt trapped. And again, she was only 16. I can't imagine how she felt here, but maybe, like, here we go again because of her past abuse that she's already experienced and probably felt powerless to save herself. Ghislaine and Jeffrey then told her that she would be having sex with them and forced her in a three-way with them. When they were finished, she was paid $200. Then an employee of Epstein's drove her home. For the next several days, they had her return and repeat the same thing. Yeah, I definitely recommend the 60 Minutes Australia episode about this uh, because you get to hear Virginia describe it and you can see the emotions she experiences when she talks about it. It's really hard for her to talk about. And we don't have many details about her past abuse, but it was mentioned she was abused when she was seven years old and again when she was 13 by that trafficking ring. So... This, at the time, her being 16, may have seemed like kind of a step up because she was paid $200, you know, before she felt powerless. But this time she, in her 16-year-old mind, may have felt kind of empowered when she got paid. You know, obviously doesn't make it right, but just to kind of try to understand why she came back after this. 
In that documentary, the interviewer asked her why she went back to this. Virginia explains that as an adult, she knows that this was wrong. But the child that she was at this point, after being abused for most of her life, and now falling into the situation again, she began to accept that this was just what life was. And when you're young and struggling financially, $200 a day is a lot of money, especially back in the late 90s. After several of these encounters, they told Virginia that they were going to start helping her get an education in massage, and that she'd be able to start traveling with him in his private jet. He promised that he'd set her up with a wealthy person, and she'd have a well-paying job for life. So soon after this, they brought Virginia to board his private jet. Which is now known as the Lolita Express, the infamous private jet. They flew her to New York, and she started staying at his mansion there. It was much bigger than the place in Palm Beach. She described her room there as luxurious, but also scary because it was so huge. The massage parlor she worked at in the New York mansion looked more like an S&M parlor to Virginia, and he continued to abuse her there. Yeah, she thought of this as a dungeon, almost like a sex dungeon. And I had to look this up again because it's been a while since we covered Gypsy Blanchard, but S&M is short for slave and master. So that's the kind of vibe she got from this room, hmm. which is creepy. Mm-hmm. Well, there's actually a picture of Virginia on a ferry boat ride that Epstein took her on when uh, shortly after they got to New York. And we'll post that picture to our Instagram this week because it shows you what a child she was at this time. Remember that picture, Rosie? Oh, yeah, I do. Yeah, just a little girl. Like, she doesn't even look 16. Mm-hmm. She looks 12, you know? She does, actually. So it's so obvious that she's not an adult. And this was after he'd raped her several times. So, crazy. Over the next few weeks of living with them, they traveled back and forth between Florida and New York several times. But her education was much different than she expected. And they framed it as if she was attending school classes with them, you know, like all official and basically like they were her teachers. But the curriculum was disgusting. The classes were teaching her how to have sex and even how to use sex toys. Being forced to have sex with Epstein several times during these quote-unquote classes They told her that their training was teaching her, quote, everything a man wanted her to be. Implying that this was necessary if she were to get a well-paying job working for a wealthy person. Again, she's 15. They told her the two things they loved about her were that she was very compliant and she knew how to keep her mouth shut. She was taught to listen to what the men wanted so she could report back to them about the individual men's specific desires. Keep that in mind, because it sounds like something that could be used for blackmail. Virginia was very fearful of Epstein from the start, and knew this was all wrong. But that fear also trapped her there, because she had witnessed a lot of terrible and illegal behavior. She knew that Epstein had connections to a lot of powerful people, and she was young, so she didn't know what would happen to her if she left. We saw this with Maria Farmer. These people aren't afraid to throw threats at you. Virginia said she knew that he was capable of having her abducted or even killed. He would often hold his power and status over her, 
telling her that he knew how to get away with things and knew a lot of people in high places. He eventually began using her to traffic other young girls, having her gain their trust and then bringing them to him. She traveled with him from Florida to New York, as well as his Zorro Ranch in New Mexico, and his private island off the coast of St. Thomas called Little St. James. And Epstein called his island Little St. Jeff's because he was that much of a narcissist. And from there, they also traveled to Paris, France. She says that no matter where Epstein was, he had people working for him to make this happen. And one of these alleged makers was Jean-Luc Brunel, a model scout from France. And he's accused of doing the same thing, luring young girls in with the promise of a modeling job, just like Eppinger did in the beginning, and then trafficking them to people like Epstein for sex. Virginia says that Epstein told her the younger the better while she was scouting for girls, and that he even straight up told her he was having sex with at least three different 12-year-old girls, all procured for him by Jean Lubrunel. What the heck? Apparently, Epstein's makers would import desperate girls from other countries, and they would find girls that wouldn't be missed. And we'll dive deeper into that later, but it's terrifying to think about how many victims there actually were, and even how many may have been disposed of and never reported. These people knew what they were doing and how to hide it. And they knew what they could get away with and what they couldn't. And this is why there's so many conspiracy theories around Epstein's death. This whole thing could be a lot bigger than we know. And we'll dive into that, or what we know of it in the future. But back to Virginia's story. Virginia says that he would get girls for his friends, telling her that he did this so that they would owe him or so he would have something on them, implying that he could get favors from these people. To Virginia, this meant that if he ever was reported or caught for his wrongdoing, he'd be able to get leniency, because these people that owed him were very powerful people. Yeah. Ghislaine Maxwell also raped Virginia on several occasions. She would take nude pictures of many of the young girls that filtered through, producing child porn. And many of these photos were found when the FBI raided Epstein's mansion. A lot of these pictures were actually printed into huge hard copies and hung on the wall. So possibly to both intimidate the young girls that visited and show these nasty rich perverts who visited just what Epstein and Maxwell were capable of. Virginia says that one of the powerful people that Epstein knew was Alan Dershowitz. 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 I was close. He was a Harvard law professor and lawyer. She claims that she was raped by Dershowitz on six different occasions after being set up by Epstein. And of course, he continues to deny these claims, but it's also interesting that he would end up representing Epstein in the future and getting him a really great deal. But we'll get into that in a future episode. She says Alan first raped her in the New York mansion when she was 16. The second time was in Palm Beach, where he asked her to give him oral sex and intercourse. Another time was at the Zorro Ranch in New Mexico, where Annie Farmer was abused. And don't forget, we updated the episode about the Farmer sisters to detail Annie's experience. But it's interesting the detail in which Virginia is able to describe this in her affidavit. 
She says it happened in the massage room, which was attached to the indoor pool area, and that it was still being painted at the time. Hmm. Another time, she was giving Alan a massage on the beach on the little St. James Island, when she says he asked her to come with him somewhere more private and raped her again. Then, another time on the private jet or Lolita Express, he forced her into a three-way with another girl. So Alan Dershowitz is a pretty big deal, but not compared to this next person we're going to talk about, a very prominent man who has allegations against him. And this is a whole different level from Dershowitz or Epstein. She says that one day in March 2001, she was at Ghislaine's London townhouse with her and Jeffrey when Ghislaine told her that she was going to be meeting a prince and to get herself ready. Epstein told her that she needed to exceed everything she'd been taught because this was a major prince. So Epstein really wants to impress this guy. That evening, Prince Andrew arrived at the door with multiple security guards. Once Andrew made his way into the building, the guards went back outside to the car, leaving Prince Andrew alone with the three of them. She was formally introduced to Andrew, and they did the cheek-to-cheek greeting kiss. Virginia says that Andrew started discussing the legal proceedings that he was dealing with after the divorce from his wife, Sarah, a.k.a. Fergie, five years earlier. Then the conversation shifted to Virginia. Ghislaine asked him to guess how old Virginia was. He guessed 17. And he would have been 41 at this point, so a bit of an age gap there. He said that she should call him Andy. And then they left and went to a Chinese restaurant for dinner. After dinner, he took her to the Tramp nightclub in London. Which is an upscale, private, members-only club. Doesn't sound very upscale. (laughs) While they were there, Andrew arranged for them to serve alcohol to the 16-year-old girl. They danced at the club, and she remembers him getting really red and sweaty, and he started to smell funny. Eventually, they left and headed back to the house. Andrew rode in his private car with his guards, while Virginia rode back with Epstein and Ghislaine, who told her that the prince wanted to see more of her that night. Hmm. When they got home from the nightclub, they all went to the upstairs of the townhouse, where the infamous picture of Andrew and Virginia was taken by Jeffrey Epstein, with Virginia Roberts' camera. That was her camera that they used? Yeah, she'd actually asked him asked Jeffrey to take the picture because she was excited to show her mom and grandma um, that she had met the prince. Well, it's actually, like, super sad. I know. That picture was developed on March 13th, 2001. Which is how we know that she was only 17 at the time this happened, which makes this next part really, really bad. After the picture, Epstein and Maxwell left saying, have fun, to the two of them. Once they left, Andrew took her into the bathroom and started to sexually assault her. And she had been groomed for this for so many months by Epstein, and she was trapped in this bathroom with a prince of one of the most powerful countries on earth. So she had to go along with it. It's a massive power imbalance here. He had her take off her clothes and then made her take a bath with him. They also went to the bedroom and all the while he was sexually abusing her. As soon as he was done, he quickly left with his security. The next day, Epstein told her that the prince had fun and that she did well, 
asking her for details about the night. She told him that the prince seemed to have a foot fetish, gross, and that Epstein thought that that was funny and intriguing. And according to Virginia, she got the sense from Epstein that he was trying to collect personal information about the prince. Remember all those cameras that were in his place in New York? Who knows what he had hidden here or what kind of blackmail he was trying to create. But it is a popular theory, even from Virginia, that Epstein collected dirt on powerful people so they would pay him to stay quiet. You know, Mm -hmm. it could be a factor in how he could afford so many mansions, a plane and an island. And also the really strange circumstances around his death. Virginia was paid $15,000 for this particular night with a strong suggestion that she should keep her mouth shut about it. A couple months later, back in the New York mansion, Virginia was called down to Epstein's office where she found him with Ghislaine and Andrew as well as Johanna Schoberg, another currently alleged victim of Epstein and Andrew. We say alleged because there are no convictions, but I'm going to go ahead and say that based on what the FBI raid found in the NYC mansion, most of these allegations are true. Virginia was told to bring Andrew up to the massage room, which she viewed as a sex dungeon, to service him there. Again, he raped her, but this time she was only paid $400. So that's quite a discrepancy from the first time. Yeah, it seems like they thought they broke her or something like they didn't have to worry about her anymore yeah like the first time was kind of like a threat with all the money that they gave right this is like 30 times well more than 30 times less you know Mm -hmm. the next time she saw andrew was on epstein's private island little saint james this time virginia says that she was forced to be part of an orgy with jeffrey epstein and the prince along with eight other girls That's disgusting to imagine. Epstein and Prince Andrew. Like, I don't know. I don't understand orgies. I I really don't really get them. Seems really stressful. But uh, this is where even more theories about trafficking girls from other countries come into play. Virginia says that none of these other girls spoke English, and she had no idea where they had come from. All the accusers I know of so far speak English, and there were eight of them here. So who knows how many hundreds of girls Epstein was having trafficked from other countries, possibly desperate girls with no one back home. And even scarier to imagine is that they may have not had anyone who would miss them if they were gone. In other words, easy to make disappear if you don't want them to talk. But that's just my wild speculation. Virginia assumed these were more of the girls that Jean-Louis Brunel from France had procured for Epstein. After the orgy, they all had dinner together at the Island Cabana, and Virginia remembers feeling completely disgusted by the men and about, and about what had happened. I mean, think about it. These are powerful, well-respected men at the time. You know, in the public eye, these guys are great. And she knows what they're doing is wrong, and she sees all the stuff they're doing, all this hypocrisy hypocrisy and fakeness. And what's worse is that they took all her power away and used and abused her for years. Well, and she can't talk to the other girls about it because they don't speak her language. Yeah, she's 100% isolated here. 
Many years later, after these allegations came out, Buckingham Palace issued an official statement denying all of these allegations. This really disappointed Virginia to see that this man who had hurt her so badly was being believed over her. It's also funny that Prince Andrew addressed this publicly, not by actually denying that he had ever raped an underage girl, but by simply saying something like, I wish to reiterate the statement that has already been made by Buckingham Palace or something like that. It's like, why are you dancing around the allegations? Well, I think we know why. Virginia also says that she had been raped by Jean-Louis Brunel several times from age 16 to 19. Jean-Louis Brunel had connections where he could easily get passports for young foreign girls under the guise that they were coming to the USA to work for him as models. But then he would just use them to sell to his friends. In other words, he was a sex trafficker. He would target extremely poor girls and offer them work, promising them a lot of money. A lot like the way Epstein targeted girls from impoverished families and neighborhoods who needed the money. But it's fair to say that Virginia had a very complicated life from age 16 to 19, being trapped in the situation. When Virginia was 19 years old, Ghislaine came to Virginia with another proposition. They wanted her to have a baby. But there was a catch. When the baby was born, all rights in custody would go to Epstein and Maxwell. So she'd be a surrogate, kind of. Yeah. So there's a couple reasons they would want to have her child. Maybe Ghislaine just really wanted a baby and was able to have her un- was unable to have her own. You know, so you know, it's a natural desire for women to want a baby. Mm-hmm. Or more terrifying. Maybe Epstein wanted to start raising girls into his sex sex slave trafficking ring that would be completely off the record. That's terrifying. Ugh. It's disgusting and extreme, but based on everything else, it's a real possibility that this is what he wanted. I mean, it's either Ghislaine wanting a baby or that, because what else would these creeps want with a baby? Right. Yeah, they didn't have time for a baby for the right reasons. Right? Virginia was thinking on her toes. She knew deep down that she wasn't willing for her womb to be for sale. She realized that at that point, she could be passing the abuse onto another person, an innocent child. So thinking quickly, she told them, That sounds fine, but first, I want to get that officially cert- I want to get officially certified for massage. They agreed to her demands and made arrangements for her to go to massage school in Thailand under one condition. They required her to find a girl to recruit and bring home with her. So college must be a good deal in Thailand, because that's also where he sent Annie Farmer for education. In September of 2002, she flew to Thailand and attended the International Training Massage School in Chiang Mai. While she was attending the school, she met an Australian man named Robert... How do we say that last name? Jufre. Jufre. But he went by Robbie. He was a martial arts trainer at the school, and they fell in love very quickly. Robbie says when he met Virginia, he got butterflies, and right off the bat, he just knew she was the one. He made her feel loved and respected in a way that she'd never felt before. Three days after they met, he proposed to her. And a week later, they got married. No. Of course, love at first sight isn't something I'd ever advocate for, 
But wow. in this case, she was lucky that he was actually a great dude. Robbie was such a huge step up from what she'd been accustomed to, and he was an opportunity for her to escape Epstein and be cared for by a real man. Virginia says that she knew he was the one when he told her that it was just not right that those people were abusing her, assuring her that she didn't need to live like that. He was the first person to ever tell her that and make her feel like it was going to be okay if she left. Also, he sounds like Chris Hemsworth when he talks. Well, I'm sold. Uh, right. <laughs> Virginia called Jeffrey Epstein to let him know that she would not be returning. He told her, quote, have a nice life and hung up the phone. She broke off contact with the couple after that. Was it really that easy? Well, I guess we'll find out. Her and Robbie moved to Australia, and since then they've had three kids. They live a quiet life, and Virginia enjoys being able to have a normal, loving family. And Robbie calls her his little warrior. It's so cute. So we'll talk more about this in another episode, but 2005, allegations about what Epstein had been doing finally started to become public. Two years later, in 2007, Virginia started getting phone calls that she was not expecting. One day out of the blue, Virginia's phone rang. She picked it up, and on the other line was Ghislaine Maxwell. She had no idea how Ghislaine found out where she was or got her phone number. She asked Virginia if she'd talked to anybody or told anybody what had happened to her. Virginia said no, and Ghislaine said, Okay, good. Stay quiet. She hung up, and Virginia thought that that was the end of it. But the next day, she got another call, and it was from Jeffrey Epstein. He had his lawyer on the phone with him and asked her the same questions. He asked, Are you going to report me? And, Are you going to talk to anybody about what happened? And she said no. Again, she has no idea where this is all coming from because it had been five years since she talked to these people. Virginia hoped that this was all over, but the next day she got another call. And this time, they told her it was an investigator from the FBI. They said she'd been identified as a possible victim of Epstein and started to ask her personal questions about what she'd done with and for Epstein. But she wasn't sure that this was actually the FBI so she told them she wouldn't say a word to them unless they proved they were the FBI. Yeah, apparently they were using some pretty brash language for professionals. Like, they used the term blowjob. I can see why she would think that then. Yeah. Six months passed with no word until she got a knock at the door. It was the Australian police with a 12-page document full of accusations against Epstein. So in that uh, 60 Minutes episode, Virginia said some things I thought would be great to wrap this episode up with because they really apply to a lot of our listeners and really go along with your Kintsugi episode, Rosie. So will you read that quote? Mm -hmm. It says, It takes a long time to start the healing process. I will never heal. There are pieces from me that will never be put back together. It takes so long to get to a point where you are just able to speak about it. It took me having a daughter and looking at this beautiful, young, innocent baby to say, I want to speak out about it now. So what do you think about that, Rosie? That's beautiful. I think that's like 
that's really heartfelt as she meant every word. Yeah, and it's really realistic too. Like like you talked about in your Kintsugi episode, getting to that point where you realize you're always going to have the um it's always going to be part of your past, you mm-hmm. know? It's always going to have some effect on who you are. Mm-hmm. But you know, you can still be beautiful and um you know, make a positive difference or just, you know, live a functional and productive life. Right. You know, it doesn't have to define you in any negative way. So that's where we're going to wrap up her story this week. Um, Virginia Roberts, Virginia Jufre, very cool. So over on Patreon this week, we're actually going to go through the interview that Prince Andrew gave a couple months back where he spoke publicly about these allegations for the first time. This was the end of 2019, mm-hmm. or like mid-end. Um, and he answered questions that the interviewer gave him. It was a really telling interview. We'll just say that. <laughs> so we'll be watching and reacting to it on video. How do you feel about that, Rosie? I think that interview is super interesting, and I'm all about it. So are you, are you up for video? If we have time to prepare Is this the first time I'm bringing this up to you I hate video I hate looking at myself while talking You don't have to look at yourself Just be yourself I I guess If that's what the people want We're just human beings I mean it's just like being in person Just a human being Human beings (laughs) Mm. Beans Anyway, we're going to be posting that video to our Patreon within the week. So it'll be available to the $2 level and up. If you want to see us react to that, go sign up for our Patreon. It should be interesting because that interview is crazy. It kind of turns the whole like official aspect of royalty into a joke, in my opinion. That's just my opinion. But we're going to wrap up. Don't forget we have a P.O. box now. I always forget to bring this up. It's P.O. Box 1425 in Hudson, Wisconsin. Send us something. 54016. You can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. And be sure to send us questions for episode 100 AMA. We need Literally anything you want. It'll be a fun, laid-back episode. We're going to have a couple drinks. And, uh, you know, it's always good to have those breather episodes in between these heavy episodes so mm-hmm. i'm super psyched about it i love answering questions I love talking about myself i think everybody <laughs> does to an extent well yeah like i've said before we're all the most important person in our own life you know you mm-hmm. gotta be you gotta put that um the oxygen mask on yourself before you can put it on someone else you know what i'm saying <laughs> what a metaphor all right so speaking of stuff let's get to the reviews (laughs) and like we mentioned earlier these aren't great reviews because no they suck they suck butt but sometimes it's funny to just read bad reviews i think this is wrong but whatever well the second one has a point to it so i'll read the first one okay illiteracy one star (laughs) horrible illiterate people attempting to read (laughs) My six-year-old reads better than these two. 
Thank you very much. I think it's pretty well said. You know? Okay, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> the next one is entitled Eh. And it's two stars. And this one was actually pretty real because... Because they, they've started at the first episodes. Obviously, those ones are terrible. That's exactly the problem. And that's exactly what I'm going to talk about after I read it. So just chill. Mm. <laughs> they say, I made it to episode 13. And I wanted to love it because I love true crime. But the random ads in the episodes that are spliced in interrupt the flow of the show. It just made it impossible to keep listening to it. This one actually, you know, it has validity to it because I agree the the way we used to just cut in promos for other podcasts mm-hmm. in the beginning was very jarring. It was. I also agree with that. It was jarring. So I can't blame them for this. Also, when I go back and listen to our older episodes, they make me cringe. Mm-hmm. So I can't blame others for it. <laughs> yeah. So this brings me to what I'm thinking. I, my idea is everything episode 17 and earlier, so pretty much everything before your personal story, mm-hmm. just unpublish it, take it <laughs> off. Even my personal story, I kind of wish I would redo. Well, I think it sounded good. No one ever had a problem with it. But, I mean, we could always redo it in the future without deleting it now. Yeah. But I'm just thinking, like, because we get a lot of complaints on episodes, and it's usually on everything before episodes, set, like, 17 and earlier is where we get most of our um, comments on YouTube that we suck. And I can't, <laughs> YouTube s- doesn't I can't say that I disagree. Stan, you jerk. Hope you're listening, Stan. Don't even acknowledge Stan. <laughs> No one cares about Stan. <laughs> anyway, um, so I'm thinking we'll unpublish episodes 17 and earlier because um, I feel like they're giving a really bad first impression to people that like to start from the beginning and binge a podcast. So our plan would be to take them down, then sprinkle in new versions of those same stories that we've already covered, except done better in the future. And that way, new listeners will only get our high-quality stuff and hopefully stick around long enough to get to it. But, I mean, to this day, episode one is still always in our top ten episodes of the month. So the majority of people are starting on episode one and are like, what the heck is this? You know? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I feel like it should just be a better episode that starts the podcast. Anyway, um, we'll see what our audience has to say about it. We want to get your opinions before we do anything extreme. But maybe we'll do what Gen Y does um, if we take those first 17 down and release them on Patreon if people really want to hear them. But we don't want these people's stories to be ruined by the fact that we didn't know what we were doing when we started podcasting. So, yeah, it's kind of a lot of factors that go into it. (laughs) We didn't know. 
Yeah. I remember first recording next side by side, like right. Oh yeah. We shared a mic for like the first 14 episodes or something. And it sounded horrible. Actually, no, I think for the first, we were still sharing a mic on episode 18. I think Robbie Wayne was our first, no, Jasmine Richardson was our first time with two mics. And Hmm. that one, I mean, I still, we could have done that one better too. But anyway, there's a lot of episodes even after that that we could have done better. Some days we're just not on the ball as much as we wish we were. We're really trying to make sure we're in the right mindset before we record these days. And we're almost to the triple digits. Can you believe that? Yeah. You can? I was going to say the <laughs> right mindset consisted of me having two cheese sticks and a glass of wine. <laughs> yeah. Rosie was toasted when she got home from work But it's today. not like a bad toasted. I'm super psyched about my new job. It was just like a... It was an 11, was 11 hour day toasted. A really like, long day. I mean, especially since it's only your second day on the job, you're not used to it yet. And they have a dog, and I'm usually not a huge dog fan, but their dog acts like a cat, and I love it so much. It's an Akita Don't say too much, because this is one of the questions for our 100 (gasps) episodes, so... I take back every word. Hush. (laughs) All right. Well, I suppose we've rambled enough. No, we're taking zucchini to the vet. Oh, People yeah. like the cats. Cat I'm giving news. Them cats. We haven't done cat news in like twenty episodes. Burrito cat um, news. lost his ball <laughs> for a long time, and it was really sad because he was like, "I tried a different ball." And didn't Wait, work. did you just change subjects? No, I'm I thought we were talking burrito. about Zook. I changed that. We can go back to it in a second. Yeah. Okay. Burrito has a special ball. It's yellow. It has a bell in it. It's super annoying. I named it. What did I name it? Wilson? I yes. I think I named it Wilson after, you know. If you don't understand that joke, then you're too young. Any hoodle. Or too old. I found it. I had put it in my drawer. <laughs> so it was my fault. And he went without his ball for like a week. And I felt super guilty. Aw. Well, he has like five more of them, so. But he doesn't use them. They are so loud at 5.30 a.m. And recording he, time. <laughs> yeah. If you ever hear a little jingle in the back of our podcast, along with Wilson saying hi, Wilson and Burrito. But back to Zook, he has been limping for a while. We took him to the vet a while back, and they said they couldn't find anything wrong with him, that he might just have like a uh, pulled muscle or something. But he's been limping a lot lately, and couple days ago it was really bad so we made an appointment for the vet we're taking him in next week because that was the earliest available time that we could actually do Mm -hmm. so unfortunately but just before we started recording he was walking on all fours but he was still limping he wasn't like lottie doll (sighs) queso mama quasi as we like to refer to him as is fine Nothing's new with him. He's just a little orange sack of cheese walking around. <laughs> yeah. I love that now that we're done with the outline, you're suddenly chatty. Just because I have my tacos on the way. Oh, you already ordered them? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not cooking tonight. Are you kidding me? 
You got a modern day woman on your hands. I like it. I'll be cooking on the days I don't work 11 hours. Thank you very, very much. We we do have some good Hello Fresh meals in the fridge that we just got today. Not a sponsor. Not a sponsor. So we'll shut up about that <laughs> because we don't want to. You got to earn the right to be sponsored on this show. Pal. Maybe we'll have to bleep that out. Just kidding. Everyone knows about HelloFresh. <laughs> anyway. We're not rich. It's a free trial. Calm down. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Man, we just got really chatty. <clears throat> That's so, about all I know. Thank you guys for listening. Um, keep an eye out for that video that we're going to make of our live reaction to watching Prince Andrew's interview. Hopefully it'll turn out well. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Hopefully we'll be able to expose the truth. <laughs> okay. All right. My gosh. Go. Take a shower. Stop listening to this podcast. Take a shower. Have a snack. Yeah, it's true. If people are still listening to this, it's kind of their fault. Come on now. Just kidding. I'm not blaming you. Make a sandwich. All right. Thank you for listening, and we will talk to you next week. <laughs>